We're going to book from the book of Esther. The book of Esther. And I am going to read a verse. In fact, I'm going to ask you to help me. Because I think about it. I just put one verse there. So since we are already accustomed to, 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 to reading out loud, I want us to read it better than we did for Pastor Chris so that we're during the offering. Can we just have a good voice? And if you go to the next slide, there is a verse. Can we read it together? If you keep quiet at a time like this, God will deliver the Jews from some other source, but you and your relatives will perish. What's more, who can say but that God has brought you into the kingdom for such a time as this? Father, we thank you for the word of God. You said that your word will not return to you void, but it shall accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. We pray today at the hearing of your word that you will make your word alive in us. Lord, help us to be transformed by the power of the living word. I ask today as the word goes forth that you will deliver. You said that you sent your word and healed our disease. I feel right now just under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, unplanned, that the Lord is wanting to heal somebody. And that word just came in my spirit to pray. If you're needing healing as we're praying, just touch the area of your body that you need healing because it's a miracle. As the word goes forth today, he sent his word and healed. Father, I pray right now under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit uh, that your word will go forth and touch the, the ailment in the sick body that it will be made whole in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who heals us. You heal our souls, our hearts, our spirit, and you heal our body. And I pray today, Lord, that the miraculous power of the Word of God will bring healing to that body that is sick today. In Jesus' name, amen. And all the people say amen. 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 God is good. So we continue. I started this uh, message last week out of the book of Esther. And the message title to you is Going Beyond. Go Beyond. I tell you, um, uh, the, uh, I, I kept going and I realized what will be, the service will end at 3 o'clock last week. And all that were here last week, just say, come on, Pastor Solo, thank you very much for that. But anyway, so we're going to go on. This is part B. For starters, the message, we're going to look at the book of Esther. How many have attempted to read the book of Esther? So I encourage you to read it. That's all right. You can raise your hand if you did. Good. That's good. You're going to get two times better out of the message than everybody else. Uh, okay, for the rest of you, the book of Exodus is a small book. I can encourage you to read it, read it at home, read it after the service. In fact, before a game starts and ends, you would have already completed the book. And, uh, and the story in the book of Esther, for starters, is a story. There are four main characters that we look at. The one character that you see is actually Esther, the, the star of that movie, Esther, the queen. Anyway. But then Esther is a young Jewish woman that the Bible says that she was very pretty. She was very good looking. But her life had taken a misfortune. When Esther was a little child, both her parents would die. I said that's really a bad deal of cards that she got from the start. And, um, And her cousin is the second character, Mordecai, who was older, decided to take Esther under his wings and raise Esther as if she was his own daughter. And so Esther and Mordecai would have a relationship of a father and daughter, even though they were cousins, a little weird. And there is no mention at all of Mordecai having a wife or having that female voice to nurture and to mentor Esther as a young lady. So Mordecai was the person that always uh, spoke into Esther's life. Now, during that time in history, the Babylonian uh, Empire had really risen, and it says that it was actually at the pinnacle of that empire. They had amassed so much part of the world. They took dominion over so much. It says the, the kingdom went as far east as India, as far west as Ethiopia and modern-day Sudan. So it was a really big uh, um, uh, uh, empire that was established. And the king at the time, that I could not dare pronounce his name last time, but it's King Zaxis. Hey, I did good. King Zaxis, I did good. Last week, you know, so anyway, he, would, uh, he was a ruler of that time, and he was not necessarily a kind guy. In fact, he had a queen at one point. He had a queen that defied his orders and just said, hey, you know, because I'll go get the queen here. And the queen says, I'm not coming. How many, how many of you say, oh, the game is not a good 
place right now. I can't move. Could you bring me some water? And the wife says, well, get your own water. Use the you know. And, and basically, she got kicked out of the kingdom and says, hey, you're no longer the queen. As fate would have it, oh, not fate, I guess as you would say, bad luck, choice, whatever, coincidence or whatever, the king decides, I want myself a new queen. I want to go to all the provinces. I want all, search for me the most beautiful women in the kingdom. I want to get myself a new king. Forget that old queen. She wouldn't get me a glass of water when it was, the game was like a tie. 12 seconds on the clock. And I had to watch it and I was thirsty. Forget her. I need a new queen. So, and it would come out to accelerate the story a little bit. Esther, who was a Jewish person, was one of the ladies that were brought to the king, and she would actually become the queen. Guess what? To get out of that position was really easy at first. So Esther was not necessarily, you would think she had a good life, but it wasn't necessarily that good of a life because he could turn around and just say, hey, Esther, you're done. Okay. So I, I tell the stories to those that maybe haven't read or are familiar with the story of Esther. But the word that I want to share with you today about going beyond is that uh, God, if you look through the story of Esther, God all along had a destiny for Esther. When Esther was created, God had a plan for her life. He knew that he was going to use Esther at one point to be a deliverer of the people, of the Jewish people. Because what had happened, in, uh, as, as time would go, there's a man in the story, his name was Haman, who hated the Jews, and primarily because of Esther's cousin, Mordecai. And instead of him just settling things with Mordecai, because he hated Mordecai so much, he says, I want to kill every Jew. And that guy has the, had the king's ear. He could tell the king anything, and the king would dance. So anything he wanted, ever wanted, he will talk to the king. And he had gotten the king to sign a decree to eliminate every Jew in all the provinces. He wanted them all dead because he was upset with Mordecai. Esther was a Jew. She had never told the king that she was a Jew. She had never identified herself as a, as a Jewish person. So, um, and, and the date was set. There was a definite date and it was going to be a great deal the day that all the Jews will be killed. Now, there was a motivation. You know, you think there are a lot of good people. Maybe they won't necessarily obey what was said. But there was a motivation. If you kill a Jew, you get all their plunder. You get all their houses. You get all their cars. You get their nice Rolex watches. And so there, there was a motivation for people to call him out. It was personal gain. So the day would come, and Esther would be at a very important place in her life, the only Jew that had an audience, if you would, with the king. And Mordecai, what we read today, the cousin, is that what we read was Mordecai's talk to Esther. Mordecai told Esther, you know, you're living a really good life. You can keep quiet now. Nothing will happen to you. Esther was in a comfortable life. She was a queen. She lived in the palace, well taken care of. Uh, she could have held identity, and life would have gone on, and history would have been different than we know it today. Because if the Jews would have been eliminated, there would have been no Messiah. You wonder why did the enemy hate the Jews so much? It's because God is a God of covenant. God changes, we change our mind every so often, we change what we like, but God keeps his covenant. The Bible says that heaven and earth shall pass away, but the word of God will always stand. That's why it's so good for us to stand on the word of God, other than anything in the world, because everything in the world will literally change. Our life as we know it can change in a minute, a call can change your life. Uh, uh, when you travel these days, even overseas, you realize that 9-11 changed the way we travel. Everything can change in a minute. The Bible says everything will change. The world will pass away. But the word of God will always stand. So I'm going to bank. I'm going to put all my money on the word of God. They say, don't put your eggs on one basket. I say, yeah, that's true. But when it comes to the word of God, I'm putting all my eggs on the word of God. Because I know I can stand on the word of God. 
And Mordecai, God would use the nation of Israel as his own special people to show of his love, to show of his nature, to reveal himself to humanity through that. And the Messiah would come years later through the lineage of the Jews. Had, uh, had Esther kept quiet, the history as we know it would have changed. And Mordecai said to Esther, listen, you are at a position where you could zip it, you could say nothing, and you can live the good life. Come on, Nebraskans, you know what I mean. You can live the good life. But listen to the words of uh, uh, Mordecai. He says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, God, come on, everybody say God. God will send a deliverer for the Jews from some other source. How many know that God has options? Come on, how many know that God has options? He even says, I love that we are a church that loves to praise God, that we get excited about praising God. Because he said, oh my goodness, you don't have to praise me. But if you quit praising me, even the rocks are going to praise me. God's got options. Can I get an amen? amen? And he tells Esther, God will find a deliverer from another source. But you and your relatives will perish. What's more to say? Who can even say that God brought you into the kingdom for such a time as this? Everybody say purpose. God had a destiny for Esther. He had divinely appointed Esther to bring deliverance to a time, a very critical time. But you know what? Here's the thing about God. God is a gentleman. When you hear about him all the time, he never imposes his will on you. He will give you the contrast. He'll say, hey, here's life. Here's death. Choose life that you and your household will live. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I will not open the door. He says, whoever hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Satan, on the, on the contrast, he's not a gentleman. All he needs is a little window. Man, you didn't seal it well. You just forgot something. And he will take, he's an opportunist. He'll take the smallest thing and come in and invite himself on the table. He will choose the menu for you once you let him in. But God is different. So God, he has his perfect plan. But we have to say, yes, Lord, I see your plan. I see what you want to do. And Lord, I want to do your will. I choose to do your will. In a generation that is collapsing, I choose to walk in your ways. I choose to love you. I choose to praise you. I choose. You know, the Bible says that, that there is coming a day that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But I say, Lord, I'm not going to wait for that day. I'm going to do it willingly. I'm going to do it now. Amen? It's a choice. I decide to praise him, God, now. Because everybody will come. But even then, God gives us a choice and says, hey, these are the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. But I have a gift. I have a way out for you. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, so if you choose Jesus Christ, you have the gift of God with eternal life. The consequences of sin are inevitable. But you have to choose life. Amen? So Esther would come into a place where she would have to decide to choose life. But she was a woman of purpose, was created with a purpose. Which brings me to the second point. Come on, I'm going with my points a lot quicker than I normally do. I've improved. Kenya transformed me, my people. Yeah, so God, just like Esther, just like Esther, every one of us are called by God. We were created for a purpose. We have a destiny in God. Not an accident. I always say this. There are accidental parents, but there are no accidental children. He says, before you are created in your mother's womb, God knew you. He says, I know the plans that I have concerning you. The plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. The Lord has a purpose and a destiny in your life. But it requires people that go beyond to see the plan. Esther went beyond. She went beyond 
the ordinary. She had the guts to say, hey, I'm going to cross over. I, I, I know God's put me here. Not for, it, it's not an accident that I find myself in the place that I find myself in. God's got a mission on my life. And she decides, you would read the story later, she would decide to go approach the king and plead for the people. And she had made a determination, if I perish, I perish. It doesn't matter. God has called me for a reason and a purpose. She went beyond. All of us are called with a purpose. We are not ordinary people. We are extraordinary. But we can live an ordinary life if we choose not to go beyond. Last week I told you, man, I told you that I was a basketball junkie. And some of you are thinking, yeah. What I didn't tell you, the guy from Kenya, you know, my first love was track and field. Track and field. Come on. As, uh, sports speaking. Sports Nation come to me. I know track and field, there's just a few people. I can tell if I look, Candice and Adam would know what I'm talking about. I know Lisa would talk, know what I'm talking about. But two, three weeks ago when we were in Kenya and I was missing this, I'm like, oh, man, the world championship was going on. And, and you go through an airport, you're like, you see the runners, you see the field events, and you're like, oh, man, I got to watch this. And so this week I got caught up. I wa- yeah, I watched a lot of it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I watched a lot of it. And I got inspired. I got inspired a little bit. Um, um, uh, because, you know, in the world of track and field, you know, you all know what football is. But let me just bring you to the world of track and field. When it comes to world championship, it's about three nations. Three. Um, uh, Kenya, United States, and Jamaica. I happen to have two nationalities. And there are two. The rest of it, they just compete for fourth place. You know, so think about if you are a Kenyan and an American at the same time. Track and field is really good for you. It's really, really good for you because you cheer for a lot of people. So, but there's a story I watched that really inspired me. There was a young man, I think uh, maybe in the next slide. His name is Julius Yego. That guy is the new world champion in javelin. Okay, you might think, if you don't know track and field, you'll realize the Kenyans are not good at javelin. 800 meters and up, they're fine, absolutely fine. Anything below 800 meters and field events, they don't get any funding for it, they don't get anything. This young man was throwing sticks, grew up in a village in Kenya, somewhere in the Rift Valley, throwing sticks and he could throw it farther than his friends. So he thought, oh, so in high school, he went on and tried out for javelin. And he won. So he started training. And when he saw his best shot was like 20 meters behind the world champion, he goes, something is wrong. I'm the best here. But when brought to the big pool, it's like, there's just something off here. Unfortunately, kid was born in a country that never even think about javelin. If you're a distant runner, you might get funding, you might get a scholarship, you might get, yeah, he didn't even have a coach. Kid would go on YouTube. In fact, his nickname now is the YouTube man. He would go on YouTube and start watching the best guys in his field. And he watched their techniques on YouTube as a high school kid. And he would change. He watched the kind of training. Trained himself without a coach and competed at the world level where he was like top 10 in the world without a coach. All through YouTube clips. And so he got noticed and they started Got, he got a coach now. And this year, three weeks ago, he would throw the best time, third, time, third best in all history. And he would beat all the, by a distant far in a country that's never produced a guy that competes that. A kid that grew up a village without a coach. I thought, that's going beyond. That's going beyond. I think in our lives, uh, all of us, oftentimes we are confronted with an opportunity to go beyond. We can look at our circumstances and our disadvantages and look at things like Esther, who was an orphan, was raised up by a guy without a wife. Esther, who was a Jew and Jews were hated. Esther, who thought, man, her life was bad. And we look at all the impossibilities and all the reasons why we cannot, all the reasons why our lives are so messed up. Oh boy, have you met my parents? They screwed my life. Oh, I can. And we look at all the things that are up against us instead of the looking within and the things that are for us. God says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Nothing is impossible to those who believe. If I put my trust in God, I can do anything. 
There's purpose, there's mission, there's destiny for you in the business world, in whatever, the dream. You need to get them out. Nothing, 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 nothing shall keep us below. But ourselves, we need to go beyond. We need to go in spite of our um, um, disadvantages or perceived disadvantages. We need to push beyond. Amen? In fact, oftentimes you would find that your disadvantage is your means, actually, for triumph. It's your means of, maintain, of engaging. It's your means of victory. Some of you in here have dreams that you, you don't even want to go there. You had, at one point you dreamed. You had a dream. You felt. You had some hope. And you buried those dreams so far. Whenever moment your mind tries to go there, you're like, ah, just, it's just a fantasy there. Don't go there. I'm challenging you. You need to go beyond. Nothing is impossible with those that believe. We sang it this morning. Nothing is impossible with our God. Amen? You need to get alive. You need to go beyond. I read another story um, of a guy. I, if you go to the next slide, please. Um, are we going? Are we tracking together? You know, God, God called us. God called us as a church, um, um, as a different kind of people. We are the called out ones. The Bible that says that God chose us as his own special people. His own special people. Um, um, read the next verse here. If you go to the next slide, please. I love uh, what... You have it? Okay, I'll read it to you. I'll read it to you. Mine's frozen too. Now, technology, isn't it good? Okay, Peter, First Peter. It says, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. In the story uh, of Esther, I will not go in and read. There's a time when a testimony, when, when Haman, I told you, the, the mean uh, uh, prime minister that wanted to destroy all the Jews. You know what he would tell the, the king? He went to the king and says, there's a, there's a certain group of people in your kingdom and all, scattered across all the provinces that are different from everybody else. They don't follow all the practices. They don't do this and that. They don't go with the flow. They're different. And I can guarantee you, the king, it is not in your best interest that this guy stay in your kingdom. I'm, I'm reading that. I'm thinking, man, isn't that the picture of the church? We can be in the world, but we know. When things are just going against the world, you, you know. It's, it's, I'm not going there. They're different. And guess what? We're supposed to be different. Well, I don't want to be different. I wanna... No, you're supposed to be different. Why? Because we are special people. God says he's calling us his own special people. Could you go back to that verse? If you go to the forward with the slide. Okay, so that's all right. He says, uh, you know, the church is uh, what the Bible calls the church. It calls us the ecclesia, the called, one, called out ones. That we are separated from the world. We are in the world but separated from the world. What does that mean? Is that we are free from the bondages and the systems of the world. How many know that the world has a system? And if you don't dance to the tune all the time, you're going to be called out. And that's where the verse says, don't be embarrassed to be called out if you don't dance to every tune. I'm going to say every tune is bad, but you got to know who you are. You got to know who you belong to. You got to know your word. You got to know your God and be not be afraid. Jesus said, if you're afraid of me or ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my father. We shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't be ashamed. We shouldn't be intimidated by anybody. I'm not saying you're going out looking for every fight that you can find. But I tell you, you better have a stand when it's called. Because there's a time will come where we have to have a stand. You read the book. It says it's a time you will have to have a stand. You know what the Bible says about the Antichrist? He will control the power of buying and selling. He's going to get in your checkbook. And get them what are you going to do? You're going to compromise or you're going to know your word? Are you going to have a stand on that day? Amen? He says, we are special. It's not a disadvantage 
it is a peculiar thing. Don't look at yourself as I'm different because... And that's a disadvantage? Absolutely no, it's different and it's an advantage because you are separated people called by God himself. A holy people in a time of unrighteousness and then everything goes. You can be holy in the midst of unholiness. You can be righteous in an unrighteous generation. You can be clean in an unclean generation. Can I get an amen? That's awesome. That is going beyond. It's beyond the normal. What we have to feed through every cookie cutter and every box cutter that we have to look like everybody else. I refuse to be defined by the system. I refuse to be defined by what the system would say. My composition of my life, the composition of my life, my family, everything I do, I refuse to feed into the box. Not rebellion, but I gotta be different than norm. I don't want that norm to de- define me. I wanna be go beyond the norm. Come on now. You need to go beyond the norm. I saw a guy, um, uh, one of the guys, um, <clears throat> you know, you realize that in history, everybody, every, every, every advancement of mankind in any field of practice always involves people that go beyond. I read about this guy, you, you might know him. Jack Ma is a Chinese businessman, the founder of Alibaba. This guy is a multi-billionaire um, uh, owns internet business. In 1994, he was first introduced to the internet. Uh, in 1995, he had never touched a computer. He would actually get his friends uh, to try to convince his friends in China that the internet exists. And they would come in, he'd have a party at his house. He says, one point he says that he had a party in his house for three hours trying to get the dial-up just to, to load half a page for three hours. He says, we will watch games, we will eat, we will drink, we will do what. And after three hours, he's like, half a page will load up. He says, guys, I told you, the internet exists. And he will come to the U.S. with a bunch of his friends, and he will start a business out of nowhere to just build websites for Chinese companies. And he, fast forward now, not even 20 years, multi-billionaire, one of the biggest, uh, in fact, he's, when his IPO came out on the New York Stock Exchange, it was the biggest IPO in the world's history. The guy that never touched a computer when he was 30, until he was 33 years old owns one of the biggest computer-based businesses in the world. He went beyond he went beyond. Uh, let me say, he went beyond. In a country that censors the internet like nobody's business, he's making, cashing it, he went beyond. That's just an example. Everything, everything, that, every people that ever achieve anything, they go beyond. They, 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 they are able to go beyond the norm. They go beyond. Now, why should that be different in the house of the Lord? Why should that be different? One of the things that bothers me and, uh, and it gets me on my knees more than anything right now. I'm passionate about it because I believe God has a different cause. Christianity is a declining religion in America. And even the numbers and the statistics five years ago, five years, it's incredibly worse today than it was when they survey people about their association with religion. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but I think the enemy is cheering and is very happy. We live in a society that was founded, at least built on Christian principles. And so there's an assumption on so many things. There are many things that are assumed because of the fabric and the foundation of the, of the country. I grew up in a country that was not founded on Christian principles, but is I would tell you is more Christian today than America is. But I can see you can see through the fabric of the foundation, and uh, uh, what I meant is the core values, the values that people carry. You can distinguish and realize this was not a Christian inception. This has Christian ideals. They may not be religious, but they have Christian ideals embedded in the culture. And guess the danger of that sometimes is that we could get comfortable. We could get comfortable. We could get complacent. We could just ride the waves and do nothing. 
when the times are requiring for us to go beyond. The times are requiring for us to rise up like Esther who would say, if you keep quiet at a time like this, you might think you're safer, but God will raise a deliverer for the people from other sources. But you and your household, you and your family will perish, I guarantee you. You may think it's an inconvenience for me now. But God is calling us to see, to look at the reality in the face and face it head on because our God is greater. He that dwells in us is greater than he that dwells in the world. We don't need to be afraid or look, bury our head in the sun. We need to look at it head on and say, hey, I see where it's going, but we're going to change it in the name of Jesus because we are the called out ones. We are the church of the living God and the Christ who lives in us is greater than the, he that is in the world. Nothing is impossible. When God's people pray, things begin to happen. When we look on, we need to, 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 to rise up. And take our position. I tell you what. The deception sometimes. Is that we think. That we could change the cause of the nation. Through a political process. And there is a place for that. Don't get me wrong. But the church is at its best. When the church is at its best. We are spiritual people. A holy nation. A political people. It says that we are royal priesthood. Amen. That's when we shine. I saw it happen in Kenya. I saw this happen in Kenya. In the 80s and 90s, the church, God had raised the church to a new level. Christianity is relatively new in the country I grew up with. 150, less than 200 years, the introduction of Christianity. My great-grandparents were first-time Christians, you know, so, and they weren't always, they always had one foot in their tradition and their practice and one foot in the church. So it's always mixed. And you go in generation to generation and Christianity is relatively new there. Historically speaking. But God had raised up his church in Kenya to such a way that the church was a moral um, uh, voice for the nations. The politicians will get into their things, da-da-da-da. But boy, when a minister that has a voice will say something, they will back down, they will respect, they will change the cause because God had given the church influence. And I don't think Satan liked that very well. And you know what he did? The Bible says this about the church. That Jesus Christ, he says that I am building my church. And even the gates of hell will not be able to penetrate it. Because the church that I'm building is going to be so strong. It's going to be, it's going to be unpenetrable. It cannot be broken even with the forces of hell. The only time that the church gets weakened is when those within. It can only be broken from within, not from without. And the political parties will begin to court some of the good and anointed men of God that had a lot of influence in the country. A lot, a lot of influence in the country. They will speak to the president. They will speak to people and God. And they will go to places place that have great meetings. So they had a good audience. And they will whisper in them and say, you know, wouldn't it be nice if you ran for office? We need people like you to run. People of good character. People of good because, and guess what? There was a few ministers that God had anointed that ended up running for political office. And guess what? They won. And people are like, oh, yeah, that's great. And guess what happened? They became one of them. I'm trying to fast track this. They won. They were good people in offices. But they were not called to be politicians. They were called to be the voice of the nation. Guess what? Their moral voice as a nation was lost. Because they got entangled into the party politics with everybody else. And so that anointed guy that you used to see and hear the word of God, now he's a politician, just looks like every other politician. Not that they compromise, not that they compromise their values. But they gave, at the seat of the world system, the authority that had been given to them. The body of Christ, the church, the ecclesia, the anointed church of Jesus Christ, has been anointed with all the anointing of heaven. 
The Bible says, all authority has been given unto me. And I impart that authority to you, my people. And go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the anointing of heaven has been placed, uh, delegated to the church by Jesus Christ himself. They could take prayer out of schools. They could take Ten Commandments I saw in Oklahoma out of our court system. They can make it all. But I tell you, when we rise, it does not matter. Some of the places that the church is strongest in our time, the continent of Asia, many, many countries like Singapore, the church is rising and they are heathen nations. But the voice of Jesus Christ is unstoppable because it's not about the system of the world. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's the power of God that transforms life from the inside out. Revival in America, revival in Lincoln, it's not going to be necessarily this big, massive thing. Going beyond is not this big, massive thing, collecting people. Even not even a display of what we see at this memorial stadium. You know how God changes people? One person at a time. Going beyond could be just you talking to your neighbor. Praying for somebody. You know they're going through it. Not imposing your religion on them. And just caring for them with a sincere hurt. And praying for them. Say, can I pray for you? I know you, you haven't been feeling well. I know that jobs are... Can I pray for you? See, here's the problem with evangelism. We always have love with a hook. Well, I'm going to pray for you if you come to my church. Oh, well, I'm going to bless you with this if you do this. And we need to get away from that. And begin to genuinely care for people. And beginning to pray for people genuinely. You don't have to be a a supernatural kind of prayer that is like, Oh man, that was so theologically sound. I got saved again when he prayed. It's simply having passion and compassion for people. That you will empathize with them in their time of need. And be the person that actually lays hand and says, Hey, Sarah... I know, I, I don't have the answer, but I can pray for you. And Lord, you know, just pray for their situation and walk off. You just don't know what God might do through a simple prayer. This week on Friday, I, was at, I came to the youth service, and it was a great service. And I tell you, if you're in high school, junior high, college, you're missing out on Fridays. It's happening right in here. The greatest thing in Lincoln is happening Friday nights right in here. And I had a testimony. Someone was giving a testimony of this week. They're walking downtown. And, uh, and they hear one of these uh, hell and doom and gloom preachers calling out people names uh, in the name of Jesus. You're all banned. And he just walked past. He put up past it. And just, it, it was an unsettling thing in his heart. And he goes, he's doing it wrong. And people are congregated and they're calling names. And this Individual will go and just thought, you know, I got to do something. I would make the long story short. He would go back and told the guy, you know, you're doing it wrong. And the guy turned on him and then calling me names. I tried to make a show out of it. And everybody is watching. And I could, if I tell you the name of the individual, which I won't, you can find out later. Go to youth service. You'll find out. <laughs> that individual is not the outgoing, the guy that would talk to. He's a very quiet person. But God, by his Holy Spirit, will tell him, just go. And, and all the students will look and listen to that exchange. And they start to looking at the guy. Saying, you need to look to the, uh, this guy. He's a true Christian. He talked about the love of God to the people. And he would pray. He says, you know, I can pray for you. And he prayed for a bunch of people there. I tell you, that's how the kingdom of God moves. It's not by some great evangelist. And that's a gift that God gives to the church. But most of the impact happens when just ordinary guys go beyond. They go beyond their comfort zone. They go beyond what they would naturally do. But they know, they know that the Christ that lives in him, them is greater than the Christ than he that is the world. The Bible says that when we go, we don't even need to come up. We don't even have a plan of what to say. It's because the Bible says when you open your mouth, the Holy Spirit will tell you the words to say. You need to step out in faith and go beyond. Amen? That's how we change the world, my friends. That's how we change America. 
That's why, that's how the statistics change from a declining religion to a life-giving church. Man, have you seen the church in Lincoln, Nebraska? They are alive. The Spirit of God fills that place. Man, the, the, the Word of God goes forth without any hindrance. Why? People that go beyond. Amen. The, the last, I'm in my last point, that every miracle, every miracle requires the beyond factor. Every miracle requires beyond. Why? Miracles are beyond the norm. Can you go to the next uh, couple of next slides there? Mine, 9-11 happened <clears throat> this week. I was traveling um, they, the, in 2001, that week of 9-11. So I'll never forget it. I was actually coming to Lincoln. And I remember I was traveling that week. And uh, we were one of the first flights uh, allowed in the United States. Landed in Chicago that week, and I tell you, the world had changed as we know it. And we pray and, uh, for, and, and remember all the families uh, that lost their loved ones, all the people that sacrificed to help others. And, uh, and, and, and I tell you, there was a sense in the nation of togetherness that we haven't felt since then. When people needed to pull together, and a time like this, people did. There was love for God. There was love for country. There was love for the neighbor. It didn't matter how rich you were. It didn't matter how poor you were. It didn't matter your color of your skin. It did not matter nothing. It was Americans. And I remember going back to Kenya. That was the year I came and decided to move the following year. And, I, and one thing I said, man, people are patriotic. People love the country. Because there was that sense of togetherness and community that I haven't seen in a long time. We all haven't seen, but we know that we can do it. We know that there's potential. It doesn't need to take something horrific to happen for us to pull together. One of the things, I remember having this conversation, one of the things with our church that we don't do like a, a, a service like a, for Spanish speaking and this speaking and all that. And I know it's all good. You can be evangelistic. But one of the things is that we believe that God wants to bring his people together. When you look across the room, you will see people of all nationalities, people of all backgrounds, people of all economic status. Why? Because in heaven, all those things are... Why cannot be... Why cannot we not be the picture of heaven on earth? Don't we pray all the time, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? That's why, and so there are times, and remember, there's a group of nationalities that we lost that were coming to the church because we were not going to have two different churches that meet in the same building. We are one body. The Bible says even though we are different, we have different gifting, different sets, the Bible says that we are one body, but individually members of one another. And the church, when we rise in that, it's something beautiful, when it's authentic, not imposed. It's like, hey, let's try to be... Uh, um, uh, diversified today. Diversity is Friday. No, just be who you were. Be authentic. And that's a picture of heaven. It's like we're not different. God is not colorblind. He created the colors. And he made it beautiful. Amen? And that's what the body of Christ should be. I want you to watch this video uh, for a second and then we'll come back to close here in a minute. Do we have the video? That's all right. We can wait. Amen. How many are receiving something from the Lord this morning? How many are saying, yeah, amen, amen. We can give him praise. Come on, let's glorify him. Let's worship him. He's worthy. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be praised. Uh, this inspired me watching this clip, if it, if it works.
Now, his last statement, his last statement right there is what really got me. That I got to do what I got to do. And even if, even if I only get to save one person, that that will be worth it. Christianity, I said earlier, is a dying religion in America. And we've seen the effects, some of the consequences of things that are happening as a result of things that happened a long time ago. But I tell you, even one person, if we have a passion for people not dying and seeing a second death, I'm talking spiritual speaking here. We have to have that passion for the body of Christ. We have to have that passion for souls. That was a natural thing, which is absolutely wonderful and beautiful. The video will go in and, and, and go on. You can find it on YouTube, where people pulled together. They broke all the rules in the books to save lives. And people pulled together in nine hours and got people evacuated. The stories you don't hear, it was so encouraging. But people pulled together. Wealthy businessmen, uh, Average Joes on the street, they pulled together to help. God is calling us to nothing different than that. To have a compassion for the people that Christ died on that tree for. And Christ would have gone back to the cross if there was only one person in the world to be saved. He would do it. And he wants us to pull together as his people, no matter what it takes. I don't care how good your theology is, but having passion for the lost, that we can see our city, we can see families come to Christ, we can see people be able to have eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's what we live for. It will not matter how much money, how much you do, what you do. At the end, if Jesus will say, welcome into the joy of the kingdom, the good and faithful servant. That's what we should live for. That's what I'm living for. And there are many people today that need Christ and they don't even know it. Jesus has no plan B. He's a plan A kind of guy. The church. He established his church, and that's his only plan. And I believe in what Jesus established. I want to be a part of it. There is no plan B in Lincoln. It's plan one, the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand up together. Amen. Give him praise in the house. Are there people in the house that are going to go beyond? How many are determined to go beyond? Come on. How many are determined to go beyond? We can't be laughing when people are dying. We can't be, well, there's no time to play games anymore. It's, we need to go beyond. Let me tell you one thing. Sometimes we think that going beyond represents more time, more effort. Actually, sometimes it's the contrary. Because our normal lives, our, the normal life is so schedule crunched that when you hear pastors start talking about, man, we need to go beyond, because man, where can I fit that in? But actually, Lord is challenging us to simplify our lives. Sometimes we fill our schedule up with things that in the end would not matter. We need to be wise about our time. God wants us to rest. He instituted the Sabbath as a principle of rest. God Almighty will rest. And so sometimes going beyond is actually not adding more, but eliminating some. Can I get an amen in the house? Eliminating some. When you hear us encourage you to get in a small group and all, it's not about time. I want you to hear me right. It's not about adding more things to your schedule. See, church, this is why the church has gotten weaker. Because church was never designed to be something that we do. It's designed to be a people that we are. I don't go to church. I belong to the church. I don't attend. I'm a part. It's a family. The sense of family and a community. And even if it gets larger, it still doesn't lose the sense of family. When we became institutionalized it to the point where it's an activity 
and an event, like any other activity and event, we miss it and we get weaker. Because that wasn't God's design. I want to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you are God Almighty. That heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will always stand. We thank you, Lord, that you are exalted above all else, O God. You are exalted in heaven, on earth. O God, there is none that can compare with you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you, in your greatness, in your splendor, in your glory, in your majesty, you will love us with an everlasting love. And you would, O God, send your Son into the world who would die for our sins, O God. And you would demonstrate your love towards us in that Christ would die for us even in our sin. We are so ever thankful for the gift of salvation and eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for sins forgiven. We thank you that you have not only saved us and left us as loners, but you have brought us together and connected us to one another and built your church. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your glorious church. I pray right now that you will input inside of us a fire, a spirit, oh God, that will not relent, that will not die down, but a spirit that will always go beyond. Put in us a spirit of faith, a spirit of power, a spirit of an anointed spirit, oh God, that will rise and go beyond, oh God, I pray, in the name of Jesus. As we are praying right now, I want every eye closed, every head bowed in the presence of God. This is a holy moment. You might be right now in the congregation and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You maybe even attend church, but you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The first step is really giving your heart to Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, I receive your gift of salvation. I want you into my life. And I want to pray a special prayer for that person. If you say, Pastor Solo, I want to start. I want a fresh start with God. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want you to raise your hand. I want to see you. I have my eyes open. I'm going to pray a special prayer for you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Put your hand. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Put your hand down. Anybody else? I'm going to give you one moment. Because this is a special moment, a holy moment for you. God wants to come into your life, give you a fresh start. Congregation, I'm going to ask you all to help me. Pray this prayer together with those that raise your hand. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today just as I am. I believe that you came and died for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life. I surrender to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 You can clap that.